True Crime South Africa is published in conjunction with Arena Holdings, publishers of Times Live, Business Live, Sowetan Live and others. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of Arena Holdings and its affiliates. If you're at home right now, turn and look at the person sitting next to you. Maybe it's your spouse or a parent or your child. Now picture that person dissolving into thin air. They haven't passed away, or at least you don't know that for sure. They've just disappeared, seemingly off the face of the earth. No matter what you do, or where you look, you just can't find them. You don't know whether to grieve for them, because when you do, you feel like you've given up hope but hoping without any proof of life is continuously painful. And then time starts to pass. The posters wrinkle up and are blown away, and people forget. But you can't, because your person is still gone. First the days pass, then the months, and before you know it, years Decades have gone by, and no one can understand why you're still holding on to this. But this, this poster, this case, is your life. This is True Crime South Africa. I'm Nicole Engelbrecht, and you're listening to The Missing, Updates and Exciting Announcements. Today's episode is going to focus solely on missing person cases and specifically the ones I've covered on this podcast before. I'm also going to be chatting about some new ideas and campaigns that will be starting around missing people. I get asked if there are updates in missing person cases I've covered all the time, and I love that because, firstly, it means you're actually listening to the episode. And secondly, it means you're still thinking about the episode and the case and the human being behind it, long after the outro music played. Many people don't like unsolved cases, and I get that. But the unsolved cases are really the ones that need to be told and heard. Because if I'm telling victims stories over here, well, in the unsolved cases, Those stories are incomplete. We don't have an ending yet. And as much as we need one, so do the families and victims. Even more so. Because this is not a podcast episode they can choose to listen to or skip over. This is their life. For some, it's been their life for decades. I've mentioned the fact that the unsolved case episodes have started to make an impact before, and leads have started to come in as a result of people hearing about these cases. So today I'll be chatting about some of those developments, in as much detail as I can without damaging the cases in question, and I'll also be discussing developments that have come up in the media. I'm going to go through the updates in the order in which I covered the cases, and near the end of the episode, 
we'll discuss some exciting developments around the show and missing person cases. The second episode I ever did on True Crime South Africa back in 2019 was the case of missing Norwegian tourist Marie Ostbo. 20-year-old Marie was on holiday in South Africa in April 2018 with a group of tourists, including friends from her university. She disappeared from Myoli Beach in Sedgefield on the 18th of April 2018. Marie had been at a restaurant at the beach with her group and had decided to go down for a short walk on the beach before going back up to have dinner with her group. She was last seen sitting on the beach by a couple who were also in the group. They snapped a picture of Marie sitting with her back to the camera, looking out at the sea. They'd planned to give it to her later, and it's a really beautiful picture. But they could have no idea that it would be the last photo ever taken of her before she disappeared. Marie did not return to the restaurant and by the time her friends and the tour guide started scouring the beach, she was nowhere to be found. Of course, I'm giving a very brief rundown here, and you can listen to all the details and theories in the podcast, but as of today, Marie has still not been found. A few things have happened since I released that podcast in 2019, though. One of the most startling events happened in February 2019, when a Neisner resident, 67-year-old Noreen Hampson, was bludgeoned to death with a hammer. Police arrested a fellow resident, 50-year-old Sean Kelly, for her murder. Kelly's behaviour had become increasingly disturbing to Neisner residents in the weeks before he murdered Noreen, and he was eventually diagnosed with schizophrenia, which had been made worse by the fact that he was self-medicating with marijuana. Kelly admitted to killing Noreen, but was found unfit to stand trial due to his mental health condition, and he's been remanded to the permanent care of Falkenberg Psychiatric Hospital. Now, the apparent link to Marie appeared when Kelly was in court. The man was clearly not in a coherent state of mind, but he made a statement about certain underground goings-on in Neisner and made reference to Marie's case. When this happened, people started to wonder if he hadn't perhaps had something to do with her going missing. Some of the last people on the beach with Marie the night she went missing were a pair of fishermen, the couple from her tour group, and a man walking his dog. Strangely, in the episode, I did actually wonder about this dog walker, because Marie loved dogs and many of her photographs in SA included dogs she'd seen on the beach. At the time, I wondered if she would have gotten into a conversation with that dog walker and if he'd been identified. Then, when Sean Kelly appeared on the scene and it's emerged that he had a rescue dog he often walked on that very beach, I really started to wonder. And so did Marie's father. Now, Marie's dad, Atle, has never really had a bad word to say about the way SA police handled his daughter's case. But when the Sean Kelly apparent connection emerged, he did speak to a journalist and told them that he was certain that a photograph on his daughter's phone, which he says Norwegian police were able to extract, 
looked very much like Sean Kelly. Personally, although the link seemed tantalizing at the time, I find it difficult to believe that someone in Kelly's state of mind could have made Marie completely disappear from the face of the earth in such a short space of time. When he killed Noreen, he made absolutely no effort to hide the crime at all. In response, South African police said that as far as they were concerned, there was no photograph of a dog walker on Marie's phone. And that is pretty much where the Sean Kelly connection seemed to come to an end. Marie's father has not given up on her, and he started a fundraising effort to procure the services of a private investigator and attorney to help him find out what happened to his daughter. You can visit the website they've set up at www.getmariehome.no. Some of it is in Norwegian, but if you just right-click on the text, if you're on a computer, you can translate it to English pretty easily. I've had a few people make contact with me about this case with different theories. One person felt quite strongly that Marie had been the victim of human trafficking, and there had been a person on Facebook claiming that she was living with a Nigerian national in Woodstock, Cape Town. Now, I'm not an investigator, so I'm not going to say that this is impossible, but I do find it very unlikely. I received another interesting email from a gentleman in the UK who used image search software to search the internet and discovered a very close visual match to Marie's face on a specific website. I did look into this, but the website appears to be Norwegian. The image of a girl, who looks very much like Marie, is sitting at a restaurant table with a man. There is no date on the photo, but I do believe it was taken before she went missing. Then, on the 18th of July, 2021, a woman walking her dog on Maioli Beach was attacked. The man dragged her into the bushes nearby, assaulted her, and robbed her of her dog, personal belongings, and fled with her car. The woman sustained serious head injuries, but was able to get to a nearby home where she raised the alarm. The man was apprehended soon after, and the woman's belongings, including her dog, were safely returned to her. Now, this may well be a complete coincidence, but I'm pretty sure that this stretch of beach is not well known for attacks of this nature. When searching attacks on Maioli Beach in Google, this and Marie's case are the only ones that come up. Seventeen days before Marie disappeared, an elderly resident of the area did disappear, but he was found, unfortunately deceased from natural causes, in dense undergrowth soon after his disappearance. My future plans for this case include getting in touch with journalists from the Neisner Plett Herald to see if we can do a focused update just on this case. The next missing persons case I covered on the podcast was the disappearance of nine-year-old Amakle Tibete, which I covered in episode five. Amakle went missing from her home in Sakani near Springs on the 4th of April 2019. She was playing with a group of friends when an unknown male approached the group and asked for directions. Amakle agreed to help the man and was never seen again. 
This year will mark the third year that Amakle has been missing, and police have admitted they are no closer to solving her case than they were the day she went missing. There are a few updates I can give you to episode 5 though. In the episode I mentioned that a serial rapist who'd been active in the area at the time had been mentioned as possibly being involved in Amakle's disappearance. Today I can tell you that this possibility has been completely ruled out. Thankfully the man in question has been arrested and he has been charged with multiple counts of rape, but he had no involvement in Amakle's case. Also in the episode, I went on one of the side quests that would eventually become a habit for me, in that I wondered why we don't have a rapid reporting system for missing children in SA, like the Amber Alert system in America. My words were barely cold when SAPS did indeed come up with something similar. Their system works through social media, and although I do think it could do with some refinements and definitely a greater reach, it's a starting point no less. I met quite a few interesting people through Amatle's case. One was a phenomenal young woman who I call a victim's advocate, although she probably wouldn't call herself one. Tsubeka Gigaba, or Tsubeka Felicia as she goes by on social media, is a human rights blogger, writer, anti-trafficking activist, and all-round amazing human. And she's been on Amatle's case pretty much from day one. She works closely with Amatle's mom, who struggles significantly to speak with the media and has continued to push for Amatle's case to be made a priority. Another group I came into contact with around this case is the One Strong Voice Foundation, who has also done amazing work around this case and continues to work with other individuals and organizations to raise awareness around the Matle's case. The next missing person case I covered on the podcast was the disappearance of Eugene Zane Nell in episode 38. Zane went missing from his home in Kempton Park on the 2nd of March 2016. I spoke to his sister Melanie for the episode and this was one of the first encounters I would have with the sibling of a missing person who'd spent a huge chunk of their lives looking for their loved one. Melanie created a Facebook page for her brother, and from her home in New Zealand, she spends a huge amount of time trying to chase down leads and discover what has become of her brother. I know that after the episode was released, Many people reached out to Melanie and offered support and asked questions. This resulted in social media being abuzz with Zane's name for quite some time, but unfortunately no concrete information came from it at that time. A local psychic who posts her findings about cases on Facebook reached out to Melanie after being asked by a member of the public to do a reading on the case. The woman mentioned that she believed Zane had had a medical event on the day he went missing and had later passed away in hospital. Although Melanie states unequivocally that she does not put much stock in psychics, she did attempt to follow this through by contacting the hospital mentioned, but the staff there were unable to assist with records from 2016. As I mentioned in Zane's episode, the difficulty of not knowing what has happened to her brother has weighed immensely on Melanie, 
and she recently expressed to me that she's needed to take a step back from actively searching for a while. I can fully understand this. Every time a family member of a missing person has to tell their story again, it completely drains them. It's like reliving the horror. When you have a missing loved one, you're in a constant state of action. When you aren't actively searching, you feel like you're letting them down. But you also need to just be able to get on with the business of living. Today, I am able to share some exciting news with you, though. When I reached out to Melanie for this update episode, she informed me that as a result of the renewed interest in Zane's case from the podcast episode, SAPS has reopened Zane's missing person case as a cold case, and there is currently an active investigating officer assigned to the case. I have reached out to this IO, and if I'm provided with any information that I'm able to safely share about the progress, I will do so. And really, this is the goal, or at least part of it. You and I are not going to necessarily solve these cases, but SAPs can, and by getting their attention, we can help move that forward. And together, we've done just that. So thank you, True Crime South Africa listeners. In episode 40 of True Crime South Africa, I covered the case of missing Dawn Byrne. Dawn went missing 18 years ago while on a camping trip with her brother and friends. Her case was featured on the first season of the television program for Miss. For this episode, I chatted with Dawn's best friend, Alicia Tizen, and it was Alicia that introduced me to another common character in the missing person saga, the best friend for life. In many of the missing person and violent crime cases I would cover going forward, I found similar people to Alicia. Cases where, for whatever reason, the victim's family was unable to be close to the case or simply no longer alive, and a best friend had taken up the mantle for the victim in question. Dawn had a difficult family life, and although she was close to her two brothers, Sadly, one of her brothers has passed away since she disappeared, and the other brother lives overseas, so Alicia became Dawn's main advocate. There are unfortunately no updates in Dawn's case, but I do have a few ideas, and as I've said, if some of the plans I have come to fruition, maybe we can have some new updates in the future. In episode 42, I covered the case of missing Desiree Raid. Desiree disappeared on the 28th of January 2000. Three years after her disappearance, phone calls were made to family members by a woman who they believed was Desiree. After this, they never heard from her again. Despite ongoing efforts from her family to keep her case alive in the media, there has been no significant developments in Desiree's case during the last two decades. I am able to share with you that after the TCSA episode aired, a lead did come in. A woman who'd been in the Sea Points area, which was one of the areas in which Desiree was believed to have last been, reported seeing a woman that fits the age progression image of Desiree in a public bathroom. This lead has been passed on to a private investigator to look into. Desiree 
I have also sent Desro's poster to organizations in the Seapoint area who assist with homeless people and others who may be struggling with substance use disorders, in the hopes that if Desre is out there, she may be spotted. Although we remain hopeful that Desre will be found, or at the very least that her family will gain some form of closure in her case, through my contact with the family of Desre, something else rather special has happened, and I'm going to share that news with you toward the end of the episode. Let's get all the updates done first. In episode 44 of True Crime South Africa, I covered the case of the mystery of the Piercy sisters. On the 14th of October 2001, 16-year-old Edna Piercy disappeared from her home in Rustenburg. Edna seemingly disappeared without a trace, but this case would become even stranger and more heartbreaking when less than a year later, her 15-year-old sister Blanche also went missing. Devastatingly, Blanche's body would be found weeks later in a field. She had been viciously murdered. Both Blanche's murder case and Edna's missing person case remain unsolved to this day. Sometime after the release of this episode, I was contacted by an anonymous source who mentioned that they had information about this case and they wanted to speak with me. In the months since, I have attempted to reach this source to get this information into the right hands, but I have as yet been unsuccessful in contacting them again. I will continue to attempt to re-establish contact with this informant so that I can pass their information on to the police. In episode 50 of True Crime South Africa, I covered the case of missing mom Natasha Fulyun. Natasha went missing on the 30th of May 2010 in Bedford View. She'd given birth to a baby boy just a week before she went missing. Natasha had very little contact with her family during this time and her disappearance would only be noted and reported sometime later. Her sister Luanne, who lives in Canada, has worked hard to raise awareness around her sister's case in the ensuing years. I covered Natasha's case in March of 2021. The very next month, a listener made contact with me. In order to protect the identity of this person, I'm going to be very vague about identifying information as well as the nature of relationships. It is vital to me that people feel comfortable coming forward, so as much as I know you'd like all the details, in the interests of the case I have to be careful. The listener told me that they'd been in the same circles that Natasha was in when she disappeared. In other words, they had known people that Natasha was involved with, including the man she was in a relationship with at the time, who we referred to as Lyle. The informant provided a statement about knowledge they had regarding things that this person may have been involved with as it related to their own experiences with them. The person has provided names, dates, and detailed descriptions of events, which could provide evidence of a motive and explanation around Natasha's disappearance. These statements and all additional information has been handed over to Natasha's sister Luanne. Luanne has decided that considering Saps has shown very little interest in this case, her best course of action is to save enough money to hire a private investigator to properly investigate the information provided 
and see if this can lead to some more concrete information. It is possible that Luan will set up a fundraising platform for this purpose in the near future, and if she decides to do so, I will share the info with you. I'd like to share with you that this informant said something really important to me when they first made contact. They said that this information had been in the back of their minds for many years. But when they listened to the podcast episode about Natasha, heard her daughter and sister speak, and found out more about who she was as a person, they felt that they could no longer remain silent. And this is the power of what we, you, listener, and me, are doing here on this podcast. If I ever felt that I was just talking into a void, and we were making no impact other than gathering downloads, I definitely will never think that again. People are listening. The right people are listening. And they're taking action to move these cases forward. What more could I actually ask for? In episode 64 of the podcast, I covered the case of missing teenager Legendre Debrain. Legendre went missing in October 2014 after having received strange notes from an anonymous admirer. Her stepfather would also go missing shortly after being questioned in connection with this case, and he was arrested recently after the Via TV program for Miss covered Legendre's case. Unfortunately, Saps did not feel that they had sufficient evidence to charge him with anything regarding Legendre's case, and he was released. I don't have any additional updates to provide in this case, unfortunately, but I do believe that the awareness the podcast created around it has brought Legendre's plight to the attention of more people, and we can only hope that at some point the right person will hear her episode and come forward with the information that is needed to arrest the person responsible for her disappearance. Okay, so those are all the case updates for the missing person episodes I've done so far. I've received many, many requests to cover other missing person cases on the podcast, and I promise that I am working on doing just that. These episodes take quite a bit more work than solved cases, so they do take longer to come to fruition. And now, for some very exciting news. I often have the great privilege of staying in contact with the families of the missing people whose cases I cover on the podcast. One such contact has led to a pretty cool development. Janet Raid Zhao is the sister of Desiree Raid, who's been missing for 22 years. Janet and I have stayed in touch and chat regularly, and we're Facebook friends too. Since Desiree's disappearance, Janet has married and had two children, Jesse and Alyssa. Both children are now teenagers and have never met their aunt. But Desiree has remained a part of their lives, through stories told by their mom and gran. Through Janet's social media, I saw that Jesse and Alyssa are seriously talented musicians. I also noted that they write their own music too. And at that point, 
something started to bubble in my brain. An idea. What if the teenage niece and nephew of a woman who's been missing for more than 22 years wrote and performed a song about missing people? What if that song could be played on True Crime South Africa every time I cover a missing persons case? What if? I took my what ifs to the Zhao family, and they embraced my insane idea with open arms. So let me tell you that these are very ordinary teenagers from a very ordinary South African family. They don't have access to professional recording equipment or anything of the sort. So I really expected a very lovely, but understandably perhaps amateur end result. And I would have been totally happy with that. But Jesse and Alyssa were not settling for that. With the idea planted, these two teenagers, with the full support of their parents and gran, went out there and made it happen. Alyssa wrote the song, they sourced a piano track to go along with the song, they got help with professional mixing and recording. They produced a song that can, would, and should be worthy of radio airtime. It is incredible. I am going to play the song for you, but I want to first share with you what my hopes are for this song. This song is written and performed by two young people who for their entire lives have lived with the knowledge that their aunt is missing. They've watched their mom and their grandmother struggle with the unresolved grief of not knowing for as long as they have been alive. Their words speak to the very real pain that exists every day in the lives of families of the missing. When people hear this song, they will know that, and they will think about those that remain missing. This song is part of Desiree's legacy. We don't know whether she is living or deceased, but her absence continues to be felt. And now, all the years of pain and anguish have created something truly beautiful. As I said to Janet, it's almost like coming full circle. And so, it is with great gratitude that I play for you for the first time ever, Void by Fragmented.
emotion, your smile always caused a commotion. I felt all the weight as it all crashed down, but somehow I still hear all your laughter. I remember you after all my pain. So, so clear. I wish upon a star that you could be Jesse and Alyssa, I am so grateful to you for what you've created here. I am so grateful to have been able to be a part of this. Your talents have created something that will go on to continue to raise awareness for missing people in South Africa. I wish Desiree could hear this. Maybe she can. Void will be the backing track for every episode of True Crime South Africa in which I discuss a missing person going forward. I've set up a Bandcamp profile for the song and you can support Jessie and Alyssa's amazing talent by heading over there and purchasing and downloading the song. They've also put together an official music video for the song, which is just as amazing, and it's available on YouTube. I'll link that and the song's download link in the show notes. The Zhao family have embraced the release of the song and the commemoration of International Missing Children's Day by handing out green ribbons and QR code links to the podcast at Alyssa's school. I am so immensely grateful to this family for how they just ran with this crazy idea of mine and turned it into an absolutely beautiful series of events. Another pretty cool thing that came out of this is that Craig Banks from Craig Banks Art, who is an absolutely amazing artist, donated a portrait of Desiree to the Zhao and Raid families. The portrait is really beautiful and appears in the music video for the song Void. I think that the portrait is yet another way that together we've been able to create beauty out of the sadness and tragedy. Thank you so much to Craig for his amazing contribution, and please do have a look at Craig's social media to commission him for a portrait. His pieces make really special gifts and memorials. The last missing person-related announcement that I want to make today relates to the Quarry serial killer case that I covered in episode 69. If you've listened to that episode, you'll remember that many of the victims in that case were never identified. I regularly see family members of missing people on Facebook groups mention they're looking for their loved ones who left home and never came back, and that got me thinking about whether the victims of that killer could be among some of these still open missing person cases. I made contact with Dr. Gerard Labaskachny, who worked on that case, and he kindly forwarded me the facial reconstructions that were made of some of the victims. I'm going to be creating a poster with those which can be shared far and wide 
in the hopes that someone may be able to identify their missing loved one. That will be coming up on our socials in the next few weeks or so. And that is our very special Missing Persons Updates episode. Once again, I'd like to thank all of the families of the missing who've provided me with updates for this episode, and especially to the Zhao family for their participation. Alyssa and Jessie's song is just incredible, and I am so proud to play it on my podcast. A special thanks to Dudu, who played piano for the song, and Tino Tolano, who assisted with production. Thank you to Craig Banks for his beautiful donation of Desiree's portrait. And thank you to you, True Crime South Africa listener. Because in case you haven't figured it out yet, all of these positive updates and beautiful things being created are because of you. Because you listen, and you care, and you share. You make all of this possible. Thank you. And yes, in case you're wondering, I am going to play you out with Void by Fragmented, because, well, I just can't listen to this song enough. Enjoy the song, please share, and let's help find the missing. you could be here 